Welcome to Better by Great Place to Work, the global authority on workplace culture. I'm your host, Rula Amiri, Content Director at Great Place to Work. On this episode, we speak with Pat Waters, Chief People Officer at UKG. Pat, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to be here. I'm happy to have you here. Pat, you are the Chief People Officer at UKG, the parent company of Great Place to Work. And um, UKG is a champion of pay equity and believes that every person should be paid fairly. Um, Many organizations have certainly made progress here, but on average, women make 82 cents for every dollar men make. You at UKG just sponsored um, a study that showed both employees and employers recognize there's a gap, that there's a a pay gap, and that it is a priority of their companies, but only 41% believe their employers have achieved pay equity. So there's a perception gap around this issue. What is driving that gap? Lack of transparency. I think we're not educating enough about the journey. What does it take? Human beings, we're funny. Like in absence of information, in a black box, we will put negativity in it, 80% of us. And so I think if we shine the light on the situation, the process, the progress we're making, I think we'd change that perception and build trust along the way. If a leader's listening to that and they say, well, Pat, transparency sounds good, but you know we can't really be fully transparent, what, what would you say? They've said that to me, and mm-hmm. I say, yes, we can. Because if you think about in any organization, about 25% of your organization is management level, let's assume, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So they get to see the magic behind the curtain. They know our pay ranges. They know how we do calibrations. They are employees too. And if you think they're not talking and waiting for us to be transparent on what does it mean, we're naive. And so... I would rather, instead of having my employees put their pay in some website that that is not intelligent, meaning, is it just ba- base and bonus? Is it base, bonus, and equity? Is it like, so you don't know the data that goes into these anonymous e- you know, websites. And so I'd rather help the managers communicate what is a pay range? What's a story? Pay equity doesn't mean I pay equally. There's confusion around that. Mm-hmm. There's confusion around how do you progress in a salary range and what does it mean? And if you start in a startup organization, and this is where I've had these conversations, you know, cash is king. So you're not going to pay high in cash, but you'll give equity away. You'll do something else along the journey. And so, but as you mature as an organization, you pay higher in base salary. So you're going to have this inequity of base pay, mm-hmm. not in total earnings. And it takes about four years after an organization goes public to normalize all the components of comp. But do we tell employees that? No. So I think that if you say, look, overall, your earnings are equal to or greater than your peers, even though your base pay might be lower, you've had these other opportunities to earn capital, to earn better for your family. Mm -hmm. This is what the story is. And then people go, I get it. And it's, I think, transparency unlocks so much. And so mm-hmm. I go, trust me, let's pilot it. Let's have a conversation and I'll mm-hmm. show you how to do it. And then they usually join the journey. Do you think that's where we should start? You know, defining, how are we defining pay equity? Yes. Always start with the definition. What do you mean by pay equity? Yes. 
what is it not? It's not equality, right? People bring different skills and experience to the table. Mm -hmm. There are nuances to that. There are different compensation plans in every company. Mm -hmm. Where do you pay to market? Are you at the 50th percentile or less? Do you have a bonus plan? Some do, some don't. So imagine you and I are working for two different companies. Your base pay is $50,000. Mine is $55,000. And you're going to think you're underpaid by $5,000. Right. But what you didn't tell me is that you also got a bonus plan of 10%. You have the opportunity to earn that additional $5,000 and then some if you outperform. I don't have upside. I'm capped at my 55. Your actual W-2 was 57000 but we don't talk about that. At all. At all. Yes. <laughs> At all. And I think transparency and education is the tool. So if that's the tool, who's responsible for closing the gap? Is it leaders, CEO level, CHRO, pushing for the transparency? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Right. All the above? All the above. So I... I love being a change catalyst. I'm always mm -hmm. about transparency because I am confident that if I'm wrong, you'll tell me. Mm -hmm. Just tell me with grace and I'll fix it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'll get it done. Yeah. If I'm right, I get to know. educate, right? So if you push back and say, I'm not paid fairly, I'm like, well, let's unpack that. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. What does fair mean to you? And right. then you might be comparing yourself, what I say, chasing the wrong rabbit. You might be comparing yourself to the wrong baseline, the wrong job family, the wrong blank. And then I go, here's what it means. Also, according to this study, only 49% of organizations have a well-established pay equity plan. Yes. First off, does that number surprise you? Would you expect it to be higher, lower, just about right? I was expecting it, hoping it to be higher. Mm -hmm. I think that every leader walks into the organization trying to do good. I don't think people go in as a manager and try to mess with people, right? Agreed, yeah. And so with that premise, with that belief system, mm -hmm. they're doing it organically. They're doing it based on their hiring. They're doing it based on their budget. You don't know the constraints in which that pay gap starts to happen. And it usually starts at higher, and it compounds over time while you're in an organization. Mm -hmm. And so if I am constrained with budget then I'm going to negotiate harder for you to come in at a lower base pay, mm -hmm. put more in variable maybe, so you have the upside, but there's no guarantee, but I'm going to want to make you perform hard for that money. Mm -hmm. And so you, do you have the skills to negotiate with me, right? Do you have right. the same knowledge that others have to negotiate? So negotiating, and you know, I have a theory out there that would be really cool in a future world that... Um, Salary ranges are very narrow for the job you need to do, right? It's, you know, $10 to $13 based on experience and, and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And then with some criteria. And each time you move your job, there's like this methodology's guiding principles on pay, right? So you, the broader the range, the more inequity you can create. Mm -hmm. The narrower the range, the less wiggle room you have. Right. And then if you want... To, to reward outsized performance, you have other vehicles in which to do that, right? You have like the bonus plan. You have special spot bonuses. You might have an equity plan for long-term incentives. You do something for the organization, the customer. That is a two-year plan horizon line. Mm -hmm. 
you do that for us, you can earn X dollars in equity in the company. So now I have an ownership mindset. I have a long-term goal. You know, this is meaningful dollars for me and my family. I sign up for that. Who wouldn't? Yeah, who wouldn't? And so you lay it out, it sounds so logical. But this future plan, what is the likelihood that this might be commonplace in the future of work? This kind of thinking, this kind of plan. It makes sense. I mean, who wouldn't say like, yeah, sure, of course. I think they're all marching towards that. The more Mm -hmm. visible we are with our ecosystem of equity, and that's what I was talking to Brian Reeves at UKG about. I'm like, look, I I don't want to cut a check every year to close a gap. I think that is a symptom of a bad system. I want to fix my system, my ecosystem. And that means at hire, I don't allow a recruiter or hiring manager doesn't have the years of experience to, to pay you less because they can. They should pay you what they should. And how do I teach that? So let's teach that. Mm-hmm. Right? Don't you make, don't even want the gap. Not not the beginning at all. Exactly. Right. Fixing the gap is indicative that we have a big problem here. Yes. And yeah. what's interesting is that if you slow our neurological role mm-hmm. in every key decision, we will make, I would love to say outstanding decisions, much healthier decisions. So... And I've proved it out time and again. If I slow your role during, you know, compensation cycles and say, check your bias, check for gender, check for ethnicity, check for performance, look at your distribution curve. Is it healthy? Do you have a bias? The more close your team is to you, the more they get. And as increases, less visibility, they get less increases because visibility advocacy matters. Like, is that the right thing? Or do you have clear goals? Like, if you see bias in who I see most, that means your goal system is weak. Yeah. The data should be there to self-report my Im- impact to the organization. So now I'm going to go after those goal-setting skills mm-hmm. and the accountability on that. So I don't have to rely on recency bias or, you know, closeness to me. So th- you have to go to the root cause. That's the ecosystem. So it's at the, hi- at the hiring process at that level before someone's even hired. Sorry, in the recruitment process before someone is hired, pay what the job is worth. Is worth. Not what you can get away with. Not, oh, this person has a family, so they're going to expect this. None of that by their campaign. None of that. One, step one. And then step two is once they're hired and working for you, you just mentioned, you just rattled off a litany of, let's call it the check yourself list. Yes. You know, recency bias, all, all these all these things. So that's, it's in like an ongoing living, breathing. Yes. It's not just a pay equity it's plan. It's how you live. It's a living, breathing ecosystem of care and checking yourself as a leader. And then, yeah. And you keep reminding people that someone's going to watch it. That's my job. I'm going to watch this. And so if I see a bias towards high ratings for X population and Y on Mm -hmm. the other side, I'm going to go hold up a mirror. Is this what you meant to do? Because I could interpret, one could interpret the data this way. Is this what you want me to see? Oh no, Pat, that's not no. Let me go let me let me take that data back. Let me go with my team and rework that. Let me see. Have you had those conversations? Oh yeah. And over and over again. Do they surprise? I mean, what is their reaction? Is it Oh, I had no I I had no idea. 80-90% no idea. Yeah. 
No idea. They don't see Until it. Until the mirror's in their face. Yeah. So how right. do you create an ecosystem of accountability? That's the checks. That's the mirror effect. I, yeah. I don't judge because I have the strong belief and faith that everyone wants to do their best work. I've never met a truly evil person at work that says, out to, out to get, get somebody. I haven't. And, yeah. you know, when I've met those naive managers, and, and, like, I'm not naive. I met, you know, my earlier stints, I've met a manager who prided themselves on getting talent as cheap as they could. As cheap as they could because they were saving That's a budget. Cap in their feather. Yeah, they were like, look Who how I much got. money I saved, right? And they were thinking holistically about budget. They weren't looking at a demographic. They were just going after the cheap. And so, but they didn't understand that they can negotiate harder. People would give in quicker in certain demographics. And so they were disproportionately through their tactics impacting certain communities. Mm-hmm. And that's when I held up the mirror again. Marginalized. And I'm like, here's, here's where you're impacting somebody, mm-hmm. right? Here's, did you think about this? Oh, I didn't think about that. Right. And so I'm like, look, for similar work with similar experience, they should get similar pay. Help me understand why you think they shouldn't. And I go, I think they should. And I said, well, then your program, your approach creates a disparity that I don't think you intend. How do you want to fix that? Mm-hmm. I don't tell them how to fix it. I ask them, how do they want to fix it? And then it gets them into problem solving. And then we co-create an amazing opportunity. Now, as soon as they have ownership, mm-hmm. I don't have to watch over them again. They all of a sudden become the owner of the outcome. You shine the spotlight and they take it from there. That's the ideal state. Right. Again, I love this future, the future <laughs> plan. <laughs> um, you've been in HR for most of your career, in the HR space, all of yes, your career? Yes, all of my career. I knew I wanted to run HR since I was 19. So I jumped oh out my. of HR a couple of times to do sales and pharmaceutical because okay. I wanted to understand how to you know, a quarter, a quota, how do you close business, the P&L. Like, I wanted to learn that urgency because in HR you don't feel that same sense. Mm-hmm. Then I got into operations, like what's the ecosystem of how you build a product, serve a product, serve a customer. Mm-hmm. And I did that in semiconductor. And then I understood that behavior and how work gets done. A lot of it's on technology, so I ran technology and implemented systems and, and drove large-scale change because I want to understand the psychology of change. But what each did t- you study in college? I studied uh, business administration and psychology. Well, that's a home run for where, where you <laughs> landed <laughs> as an HR pro. I love it. I, I, I am grateful every day I get to get up and do something that fits me and my purpose. I, I, I love the creativity. I love... The quirkiness of it. I love learning and meeting people. It just it fits me. That is a fit. I mean, you have the psychology side, the people side, and of course, business. Mm-hmm. Did you know you wanted to meld these two or you just like those courses in college? I mean, was this an intentional? Accidental intention. So I'm going to age myself a little bit. So when I was in college, I was a fine art student because I was diagnosed with dyslexia in college. And I was terrible in math and anything required good spelling. It was just I couldn't do Mm -hmm. it. And I went to a career center, and they they told me, hey, you have dyslexia. And I'm, like, thrilled because they said it had nothing to do with your IQ. It's about how you process and put it on paper. So with technology and computer and 
spell check, you'll you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I was, you didn't discover this until college. Yeah, okay. like I I just thought something was wrong. Yeah, that's a struggle. Yeah, it was a struggle, and um, but it gave me other gifts of grit and observation, and so I have a superpower because of it. Mm-hmm. And but in this assessment, it said you love HR, you love teaching, and you love social work. And so my dad and my uncle were in HR, and I interviewed them both. And my uncle told me uh, that a company's operational expense, 80% is the cost of talent. So 80 cents of every dollar spent by a company is related to you and I. And I'm like, really? And he goes, yep. If you're manufacturing, capital intense, it's much less. If you're a consulting firm, it's 100% cost of talent. But Patty, think about it. It's the compensations, the benefits, it's the software we give you to do your job. It's your travel and entertainment. It's the building you sit in, training that you get, the benefits. All that's the cost of talent. So if you underpay and you have high attrition, you're not going to be as profitable. If you overpay, you won't be as profitable. If you don't develop your team, you won't grow the business. If you don't care for your wellness of your employees, they won't be there in times of need. So you've got to dial all these things yes. carefully to create a great company. And I'm like, oh, I want to run HR, Uncle Roland. I want to. I, I saw in front of me like all this cool dashboard, like a car, and I'm like, I want to do this. And he goes, Patty, do you want to be a recruiter, benefits analyst? Because women didn't do HR then. I'm like, no, I'm going to run HR. Like I had to argue with him. I'm going to run HR, so teach me how. I mean, if <laughs> someone says, I see a dashboard in my future, you're destined for HR. It's so funny. And so he got me connected to the, this college in New Jersey, Ramapo College in Mawa, New Jersey. No one's ever heard of it. No They're amazing. It. Yeah. Are they still there? They're still there. Shout They're out. amazing. Shout out to Ramapo. And uh, they took an experiment. They took 26 students and they cobbled together pre-HR degrees. So this is in the early 80s, mid 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, they said, look, we will take 26 students that want to go in this field. You'll have sponsorships. Beck and Dickinson was mine. I moved from Louisiana to do this program in New Jersey. And um, so they said, we're going to cobble it together. And it's going to be a BS degree in business administration and psychology. And we're going to teach you labor law, accounting, like all the business stuff oh. and sociology and team dynamics and psychology. And so they cobbled this together. In such That's incredible. A way. It was so good. So no good. wonder you are quite the, the trailblazer in HR. I mean, that's such a unique program. It was so fabulous. Yeah, it sounds fabulous. It was so fabulous. And, you know, I remember even with my learning processing disorder, spelling wasn't such a big deal mm-hmm. at that time. Mm-hmm. But, like, I was doing learning computer programming. I was learning things. And I learned how to ask for help. I learned, I learned my humility of not knowing something was a superpower and saying, how can you help me? How can you get into my DNA of my course so I really know it? I don't memorize anything. I know it. Mm-hmm. And that journey was just an amazing journey, and I continue to carry that mindset forward. You are your true authentic self. I'm telling you, that's why people are gravitated to you. It's refreshing, especially oh, at your level. You. I don't know how to be anything but me. Mm-hmm. And every time I unlock a layer and be more transparent, it just seems I get more gifts. So why not? And being a, a female in, in a mainly male company sometimes was hard. And, mm-hmm. you know, how do you be a new mom? 
I mean, I breastfed in a closet, a broom closet, in, in the receiving center, downstairs, in a broom closet with my foot on the door to make sure no one came in so I could pump. And it was insane. And I'm like, so these women... What did th- other women do? Were they all going in broom closets? Uh, no. So what they would do is stop nursing, right? If they couldn't find... It was wow. pre-nursing rooms. Yeah. And then I'm like, look, I've got to nurse. I want to nurse till eight months. Like, I'm not asking for years. I'm not asking my yeah. four-year-old to follow me around. I'm just right. saying I, I I, believe in this deeply. Yeah. And I'm yeah. trying to pump. Give me room to pump. Mm-hmm. They didn't, the girls' room only had like one or two stalls back in the day. So you couldn't take a stall for 30 minutes. Think about it. Yeah. And, and, the, and the machines were so loud back then. And I'm like, oh, it's mortifying. <laughs> like, it was like so bad. And I'm like, oh. Man. Yeah, that's mortifying. It's mortifying. Yeah. Right? yeah. And so uh, I'm like, shoot, I'm just going to go to a, find the most remote closet possible that no one's going to bother me and, and pump twice a day so I stay active and do it as long as I willingly can and then if I had a hard time I just brought I started bringing Katie to work in her little bucket chair when I knew I had long hours I'm like I refuse to give up on my core belief I don't care what you think did anyone say anything oh occasionally yeah but then the gifts came yeah god you did that because you know what I I imagine other women are like oh look at like oh so yeah. I might bring my kid yeah. or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. Katie was a baby in a bucket chair. Like how much damage will she do? Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, and so, yeah. um, and it wasn't every day. It was just like these moments of like yeah. sharp values were clear. Yeah. My husband couldn't have her. I still need mm-hmm. a nurser mm-hmm. and I, and no daycare available. So I'm going to take her to work because I have to get work done. And you didn't work remotely. Didn't have all the connectivity. Right. So that's why I just told my boss, I'm like, choose your poison. Want me to get this stuff done? I'll do it. If not, I'll go home. Because Katie and I going home is like really chill. <laughs> and then he was like, stay. And I'm like, all right. God, yeah, I can't imagine a time without pump rooms. I mean, that's just like. But I, I applaud all the women that paved the way to make that real. Yeah. They have no all idea. All the women in the closets. Yeah. yeah. Or wherever they could find yeah. something, a space, bathrooms, stalls, just their car what piece of a career advice would you tell your younger self so I think what I would have told my younger self is to believe in myself even more have have more joy in the journey like I was focused but I still felt I had to earn my space and and Mm -hmm. I I could have taken less anxiety out of that journey maybe (laughs) (laughs) have you gone back to your your college yes Yes. Recently, have you yes. spoken? Yes. Well, what was that like? It was amazing. I was like, oh, my goodness. And um, so I met the president, Jeb. She's there. Her inauguration, as as I forget which number president uh, is this mm-hmm. month. And so they gave me a tour. I got to speak to the students. I wanted to speak to the community group of um, students with disabilities oh and goodness. talk about their journey and it was such a blessing to go on campus and stay connected with them. And that's a gift. And then I was telling President Jeb, I'm like, it's it's so funny because I get to speak now at UCLA or USC or Stanford and Berkeley. Like I could never get in those colleges, universities ever with my, with my academia background. And to have them think of me as a thought leader, to have them 
imprint on their student body is I do not take that for granted. I'm like, this I can feel me. it. Yes. This is like, you're like a giddy schoolgirl right yes. now. Like, yes, I went. I went. I spoke I went. and they asked me. Yes, they asked me. So that, wow. That's full circle. When, when was that? It was probably early May. I went to Ramapo College and spoke to the students. And we still stay in contact. I just had a call with her and their development people. And they, they, we have a relationship now. It's so funny. I feel like you're more excited by that than other bigger name colleges because it's so personal. It's so personal. Yeah. Yeah. It's so per- and And they gave me that opportunity to learn. Yeah. The- they gave you the opportunity, but then you walked through the door and you made it. I made it. It took me five years to graduate, but I made it. I have that degree. Nothing wrong with the five-year program? No, no. Yeah, I I, am proud, you know. No one knows what college I went to. I am so proud of what I did. So Now they do. Now now they they do. Now they know. Ramapo College, Mawa, New Jersey. (laughs) Is there a book, a podcast um, that you would suggest to your fellow peers or where you kind of get inspired and continue to learn and develop if it's not through a book or a podcast? Gosh, I'm always learning and copying shamelessly and giving shamelessly. Everything I do, I give away. I think Daniel Pink, I love his work. I, I love the book Rethink. How do you change your perspective? Because the way my brain is wired, I always think differently. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, the power of regrets, you know, I love that mm-hmm. book. Um, I love, you know, if I regretted something, what do I do forward? That I don't have to have that regret. And and regrets are amazing things. Without regrets, you don't learn. Like Regrets are gifts. They're awesome. Mistakes are awesome. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I like how people reframe things. Susan Cain in Quiet. I, my first blog, I'm an introvert, and so my first ever blog was about being an introverted leader in Silicon Valley when I was at LinkedIn, and some of my executives at LinkedIn really pushed me to do this blog. I was nervous. Like, when I pressed send and posted, I, I, I think I wanted to vomit. It was so scary, and so um, I became, because of that, I became acquainted with and friends with Ariana Huffington. She introduced me to Susan Cain. I got to do a thing with Susan Cain. I went to her house in New York. Like, the gifts of being authentically you and bringing it to the world and and leaning into others is like, it's just been this never-ending gift for me. So that's what I would tell everyone. Like, continue to learn. Be your authentic self. Just keep, and then share Share, 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 mm-hmm. share your story. Who you are, not what you do, is more important. Mm-hmm. Well, and people want to be seen in the world and see themselves. Absolutely. So someone seeing themselves in you, and that's inspiring to them. Yeah. I, it, it's amazing when I first started talking about being an introvert or dyslexic. They're like, I, I've never heard an executive talk about a, you know disability. And right. I'm like, I have a daughter that's neurodiverse. Like she struggles. She's under my conservatorship. She will always mm-hmm. be in my home. Mm-hmm. And she's the best gift my family ever had. Yeah. And a, the most struggle, but the most learning. And so like, how do you take these Those life? seem to go hand in hand. Yes. Why is that? The hard things are the best things, but they're hard, but they're gifts. Yes endless circle um along those lines who's who is the most important person you talk with every day personally or professionally or both my family my husband my kids 
every day. My boys call their sister every day. Um, they do? I every have an day. Brother. Is he listening? Is, does, he hope. doesn't call me every day. Yeah, my, my son Ben calls Katie and FaceTimes with her every day, and if she doesn't call, um, he'll tease her about it. And she has anxieties with her disability, and so if I'm out with my husband at dinner and we're like 10 minutes late... Katie's going to FaceTime Eddie. If Eddie doesn't answer, she'll call Ben, and then they'll call me. Like, Katie's getting anxious, Mom. We're chatting with her. We're showing her the bunny. We're showing her the baby. Like, I'm blessed to have this really cool family unit with these two boys that have just loved Katie to no end. How old are your kids? So Ben just turned 28, um, got married last year, and had a baby in May. My uh, second son is turning 27 in November, so they're Mm -hmm. 14 months apart. Mm-hmm. And then Katie is, uh, is 24 and a half. Pat, this flew by. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really love the conversation. Thank you. This was fun for me. I hope it's, it sparked something for somebody in a good way or just made them feel happy. I would love that. It will. It did for me. So there's your one person. All right. I'm done. Success. Check. <laughs> we can end the day now. Yes. Thank you for listening to this episode of Better. You can stream this and previous episodes wherever podcasts are available.